Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy to have everybody here with us today. I have a real treat in store for you with a wonderful author that we're going to speak to. And I just want to let you know that remember to always check the show notes because we've got information there about her and ways that you can learn more and contact her and whatever you'd like to do. And there's also always something special in there that you can get from me when you you look at the show notes. So be sure that you do that. So today we have... Edie Nathan with us, and she is the author of a wonderful book called It's Grief that has so much information in it. And I'm I'm just, I love the book. It's it's really, really nice. So Edie, welcome. Happy to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about you and uh, what motivated you to write this wonderful book? Grief is everywhere. We we might not even realize that it is, but it is, right? And with that in mind, because of my own history of loss, different traumas that occurred, and um, what I call the big G's and the little G's, I had been collecting stories and perspectives and as a therapist and having a full practice in the field of grief and loss and trauma, thought, you know, I want to take the life experience and put it into a book that allows people to understand that grief is not just about the loss of a loved one. And that's a very hard journey as, as, as you know, Mm -hmm. and you've shared with me for sure. And I've experienced and grief is everywhere and it, 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 it can strike us and hit us in ways that we, that we don't expect. And so this book is about the journey of the self through grief and that there's not a way of getting over it. There's not a way of just saying, I'm going to wipe my hands and be done, but rather it's a, uh, a journey and, um, and you walk with it, you dance with it. I love that dance aspect. Uh, that was just really special when I was reading that. I oh, she gets it, you know. <laughs> it was it was really wonderful. That's that is such an important point right now. That generally, a lot of times when somebody says something about grief, they they go, "Well, who died?" And there's and especially in our society today, with the extremes that are happening from opposite ends of just about any belief or anything that you think about, we're all being challenged with that. And and some of the challenges are really big and, and we're grieving over how things are different. And change is, is happening, whether we want it to or not. And a lot of grief is involved there. So um, I like the idea that you you're not just talking about people who die, but grief in general. Yeah. Yeah, it, the idea of the big G's and the little G's, the big G's are, you know, I think exactly how we, we think of them. The, 
the loss of a loved one, the loss of a limb, the loss of the role as a caregiver or caretaker, when that role is taken away, there's a sense not only of grief, but role confusion, which I talk about in, in, in the book. It's grief is written for the layman. It's not written necessarily with a lot of psychological terms, though it's psychologically minded. And the idea of suffering from big G's, we all have them. And then those there are the little, the little G's. And those those little G's can start with something that seems like it's a nothing. And, and I'm gonna really, this is gonna sound like a nothing. You, you get a haircut and and it's not a good haircut. But what that haircut does Maybe it triggers something within you that's been buried and all of a sudden you're feeling things that you didn't think that you would be experiencing. And it seems trite, but that could be a little, a little G and those little G's can then turn into, if they're not dealt with a big G. That's right. But what a great example. I, I had a, a little G haircut at one point that I just didn't know what to do. It's like it changed my whole identity. I had told the person what I wanted her to do. She was somebody new and she did what she wanted to do instead of what I wanted. And I didn't look like me at all when I looked in the mirror and she was done. And I kept thinking hair grows, you know, it's going to grow out. I don't have to stay this way forever. But I did have to live with it for a while because she she did a substantial cut on it that wasn't what I had asked for. And it, it and it sounds it can sound trite, but when it goes to some core part of us mm-hmm. and that can then be a trigger and we're not even aware that it could be a trigger. And it's it's being able to to be aware of those the potential for the the little G's and how, when they're not dealt with, they're not taken care of to be able to take that moment in time, share it, write about it, talk about it, find some way to be creative with, you know, the bad, the the, the bad haircut, so to Mm -hmm. speak, because learning how to deal with the little G's will help you and, and, and us every, every, every person learn how to better deal with and cope with the big G's. That's right. And I think in my case, with when that happened uh, with me, I, I did a lot of thinking about it. I realized uh, by exploring it, the triggers from my childhood that made it so significant because my, my mother was not a grooming person. She just, you know, she just wanted my hair short. And in those days it was called a pixie haircut. So I had very little hair and she wanted it that way. So she didn't have to think about it. She didn't have to look at me if I didn't uh, wash it or, or whatever. It, it, it wouldn't bother her. And it, it was devastating to me because I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. And mm-hmm. she always thought at a certain age that women have to have their hair in a certain way and that older ladies couldn't have long hair. And so I think it's kind of a, <laughs> well, my hair's long. What can I say? <laughs> you know, It is long. It's, it's, it's not going to be short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it, it is. And it, it really got me thinking about a lot of things. And that I love the description of that being a little G makes such yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. And you take that little G and grief is like a hero's journey. You you go from that which you knew, the ordinary life, and you leave. You have a departure because something happens. There's a hiccup or there's 
a catastrophe or there's a war or there's a pandemic or there's a loss of a loved one. And are they all on the same rung? No, but they all create the same potential journey, which is something has shifted within you. That shift causes you to question who you are, what you're doing. And then you are led into the metaphorical cave of having to face the parts of you or the shadowy parts of the self, like the mother or like you know, the, the father or the male figure and deal with how they have created an obstacle for you in your life and what the magnitude of what they represented to you in your life might have been. And you tangle with them in the cave. They're, they're kind of like phantoms, if you will. And then you come out of the cave and you're forever changed because you, you did the dance with them, you tangled with them. And you come out transformed and you also come out knowing a little bit more about who your friends are and who your allies are. And though you might look the same, talk the same, you're forever changed. That's for sure. And I I love your analogy with the, the dance that was so interesting reading about that in your book. Can you tell us some more about dancing with grief? Certainly. So the second, the subtitle to its grief is the dance of self-discovery through trauma and loss. And I see grief as being something you must partner with. And and what do you, when you partner, I think of, of a dance and sometimes the partnership in a dance is wonky. Sometimes it's gorgeous. Sometimes you're doing a waltz and it just has a beautiful rhythm And sometimes you're doing a jagged twist. And that when you partner with grief, you're saying, I'm not afraid of you. I know that sometimes it's going to be okay. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's going to take me down just into the depths and the darkness that I just didn't even expect to to be in ever. And, And I see it as a dance because... There is an elegance to grief. There is, it's profound, it's primal, and it catapults you into a place you could never imagine. What a perfect description. I was just thinking how fortunate the people are they get to come to you with with their grief and and work in a a different way to look at things and a lot of people think is is grieving is negative but you have I think the the dance aspect makes it a positive approach where where you can you can breathe with it that a a lot of times we just get so so tied with it it's that's right that's right it's moving with it breathing with it you know saying I'm not afraid Mm-hmm. Because, right when 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 we're when we're struck by grief and the profound aspects of it and the pain of it, all we want to do is avoid it. And what happens when we avoid is it makes whatever we're avoiding get bigger. Mm-hmm. And so the the big one hundred pound gorilla of grief that might be on your shoulders 
becomes a 500 pound gorilla, a thousand pound gorilla. And you're just walking and you're embedded in it and, and with it. When you're not afraid of it, you can step aside, you can look at it, you can see it, you can engage with it. When it's on your back, it's so much harder. Yeah. When you, you know it and recognize it, it, it makes a, a huge, huge difference. And I think we all know that we all grieve for a significant part of our lives with all the different things that you grieve about. There's, there's lots of, of different things and you can ignore it and try to bury it and have it fester or you can uh, recognize it and send some love that way. That's right. Yeah. Embrace it. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- fight it because you, you do need to be in touch with your warrior as well. Oh, yeah. and I will use, you know, the idea of the archetypes as techniques to help focus on, you know, kind of what you need to be calling on to help you in, in the dance. Love those archetypes. I was always, I was reading through that. I thought, oh, this, what a great way to express these things because people can relate to this and, and see and understand what you're saying so easily with the, the way that you describe them. Can you give us an example of a couple of the common archetypes? That- let's, let's first describe what an archetype is. Oh, that's a good idea. Because, yeah. You know, we don't, right? Because yeah. a lot of times, it's not like we walk around talking about archetypes unless you're you're kind of within a group of people who who know that and and understand you know that the archetype is a symbol that is a universal symbol. So, for example, you and I were just talking about mother. If we mention the the word mother, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what kind of person you are. I don't care what your background is. If you speak English, if you don't speak English you will know what mother is. And that is an archetype. It is a universal symbol. So when I mention mother or father, we know what that symbol is. We understand who they are, what their role is, or maybe not. Maybe it wasn't a role, but maybe it was a wished for role. And so we we understand that there are archetypes of the mother, the father, the warrior, the trickster, you know, the fool, and if your audience is familiar at all with the tarot, some of, some of the images from the tarot are very much archetypal. And it is the idea of using I, images that are universal to all because grief itself is universal to all. That's right. That's so perfect. It, it was... Uh... When I was studying English at the university, the archetypes were so helpful to me because you, you could figure things out by using the archetypes. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. So when I think of the warrior, you know, warriors, um, the archetype of the warrior is that, you know, they're solid. They, they like to, to fight for something that they believe in. Sometimes they don't want to fight in something they believe in. They just want to fight. And that might be more of the shadowy side of the warrior. But the warrior needs a war to feel complete. And grief becomes, you know, like the, the, the war that the warrior engages with. 
The thing about archetypes is that they can move in and out. And you might need a warrior archetype to say, okay, you know, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to dance with you. Because if you look at, you know, the engagement of fencing, for example, which is almost like a, a warrior's stance, you know, with that sword in hand, it is, it, it is as powerful as it is elegant, as it is strikingly um, potent in the way that it can strike back. That's right. Wow. That's so perfect. Oh, my mind's just <laughs> spinning ahead here. <laughs> oh, yes, this archetype and that archetype. So it's, it's just an easy, uh, I'm not sure easy is the right word, but it's a way of being able to describe um, things that it, it's not necessarily easy to describe. So that in, on a universal way that people can relate to them. Yeah, and and it's more precise for perhaps what you might want to call on. And in it, it's grief, I've got a whole bunch of archetypes that I describe. Some I go into, you know, with great in greater depth than others. It, I give you an idea of them. And if you're really interested, uh, there's so much on the internet to to read about and to learn in terms of in terms of these archetypes. But whether you utilize them or not. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of finding ways to be precise about what's going on with you. And grief muddies our minds. There is no doubt. It's, it, 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 grief shatters us, takes us down, splits our hearts, takes our guts and turns them all over the place. And, and it's, often fine, it's often difficult to find the precise words. But if you can find one precise word to describe or one precise moment to tangle with that grief, it, it can help actually your mind become more precise and clear in how it's going to work with the grief that has presented itself. That's right. Yeah, I, it was just reminding me of how uh, I've had two husbands die. And when the, the first one died, I, my big thing was, I just felt kind of blank. It was like, I, I couldn't think very well. I, I couldn't relate to things and nothing seemed to make sense. And I didn't really talk much because I just was blank is the only way I can describe it. And having something like the archetypes, if somebody could have had a conversation with me at that time, I think it would have helped me wake up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you only need, you know, one at a time because, mm -hmm. you know, our minds can't, when you're grieving, you know, you're muddled for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it is really hard to read. It's hard to learn. It's hard to sometimes relate. You're, you may not be sleeping. You may only want to sleep. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that the body responds to, to grieving. Sometimes people can listen to something and not necessarily read something. And if you are reading, maybe just read a line or two lines or five lines. It doesn't matter, you know, and you don't need to do it alone. You can find a group depending on the kind of person you are. Are you an ambivert, which is kind of like a little bit of an extrovert and an introvert all in one? Or are you an introvert or, or, or an extrovert? Based on who you are and your personality style, that will also help you 
determine the kind, the best help for you. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we, and often we're so busy living life that we don't really have a, <laughs> a good idea of who we are. That's you know? right. And, and getting hit with big grief, the, the, the big G's, um, will knock you down enough that it's, it's like everything's shaken up and you don't really are not aware of how to put the puzzle back together again. That's right. That's right. And it's interesting that you say puzzle because I use the idea of a mosaic throughout the book and that we are creating a mosaic and the mosaic has gotten fractured. And so it doesn't look the same. And the mosaic that you are building is going to look different than the mosaic you had. And throughout life, that mosaic, the mosaic of our personas and ourselves are forever changing. And if you buy into that a little bit, then it makes those transitions so much easier. Are they, are they ever easy? No, not really, but a little bit easier for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And then the mosaic is, is such a, a beautiful image for that because we're all made up of pieces and parts. And when you can rearrange them, you create different things that all the, the different pieces are. I have a friend that, that would make uh, mosaics with mirrors. So you not only were seeing the, the pieces, but you're seeing your reflection at the same time. And so it would be constantly changing depending on what angle you were looking at it, what the light was. So, so many things that represented that nothing stays the same. We, yeah, we can't go right. through life without being touched. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an opportunity to be in discovery of the self, mm-hmm. right? And to say, okay, I didn't even know this about me. And I'm learning this about me. And I'm really excited. And to be excited about some shift within the self while you're grieving is okay. And it's really important to give yourself permission wherever you are on the grief scope to have moments where you're okay. And it doesn't mean that you are um, not sad for your loss, not ruptured in some way because of your loss, but it does mean that you have some appreciation for some insight or growth or new relationship with, with, with a friend or with a, a religious person, you know, and, and those new relationships will often um, develop after a loss. And they're unexpected and they're unexpected gifts. Oh, yeah. It's, it's being able to be open is, is pretty magnificent. I knew one of the things that, that I did after uh, Jacques died was I made up my mind that I wasn't going to open myself up to a deep relationship like that again, because it was just too hard to have it end. And I just, I couldn't imagine ever being with somebody else. And I was so shocked when I met somebody and fell in love, you know, and, and it, it was, it was wonderful. And I was glad that I was able to not stick by these decisions that I had made that weren't really based on anything that was serving me, but what I thought that I should be in society thinking at that point. That's right. 
I think a lot, a lot of times we let society dictate things to us that, that we don't need to do that. How often have people, you know, been, been told, you mean you're not over it yet? Oh, I you, you mean you're not done? <laughs> yeah. you, 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 you mean, what do you, it's been six months. Come on, it's time. And that's, you know, the loss of a spouse of 30 or 40 years or 10 years or two years. It doesn't matter. Why is that messaging there? Because grief, once you've lost someone, it's it changes its its framework and the way you hold it. But it's not gone because you honor the person that you've lost or the thing you've lost by remembering peacefully. Yes. And you don't need to worry about what anybody else thinks. That was a hard lesson for me. That, that was really yeah, hard. It's a good lesson. Yeah, it's a good yeah. one. I had a, a, a situation where I was I was very involved. Both Jacques and I were very involved in the community. It's like everybody knew us. And there were things that were coming up after he died that I really wanted to attend, but I didn't want to go by myself. And we, Jacques and I, had a friend who also was a doctor that whenever he'd go in the hospital or say he wasn't our doctor, but we were always running into him all the time. And and so he knew exactly what was going on. He knew us, knew our relationship. He loved to come to the theater and he, he was just a really nice guy. And he called me one day and he goes, you know, I know how involved you are in the community. And I know that it's probably going to be hard for you to go out by yourself. So if there's any time that you're going someplace that you would like an escort, I would be happy to escort you. And I thought that was the kindest, most beautiful thing for for him to say. He certainly didn't have to do that, but he did. And so I took him up on it. So there was something that was coming and I really didn't want to go by myself because I didn't want to get cornered and have people going, well, like you just said, aren't you over it yet? Or, you know, (laughs) strange things that people say when they don't know how to talk to you. That's right. And we weren't, we weren't like holding hands. We weren't doing anything that made it look like we were a couple. He just essentially gave me a ride there and we were talking about the event and that sort of thing. And at one point I heard some women talking behind me. I think that they thought that I couldn't hear them. And they were saying, can you believe that she's dating already? He just barely died. And here she is out gallivanting around. And isn't that, that's just disgusting. It's disgraceful. How could she do something like that? She must not have really loved him. I couldn't believe the garbage that was coming out of these mouths of these women who didn't know me. They knew who I was, but they didn't know me. And to say things like that, I just, I thought, okay, I'm going home. I'm not going anyplace ever again. (laughs) I'm really sorry that that happened So sorry that happened to you. And yet I'm so happy that we're talking about it. Yes. Because because it, it's messaging that needs to get out there. That's that right. That there, there's no one right way to speak to someone who's lost a loved one or has, you know, gone into a depressive state because of the onslaught of grief, situational grief that has occurred. It, it grief does not follow any kind of line, you know. And um, it, when someone makes a comment like 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 this, it's because of their discomfort with mm-hmm. loss. And we can be the teachers. Anyone who's lost someone and 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 come to a place of 
of I'm, I'm living with this and I'm, I'm okay enough, you know, and I can be happy and I can laugh without guilt or shame. Those are our teachers and they're everywhere. And so I love the idea that, that, that anyone who's lost a loved one or has experienced the big G kind of grief that you pay it forward and you pay mm-hmm. it forward by teaching, by, by comforting, um, by being curious and by allowing for the people around them when they have losses to grieve in their own way and in their own time. That's right. That's right. What a better place the world would be if people got that message and, and practiced yeah, right. it. <laughs> it would so just be true. wonderful. It is so very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can't say things like that happened all the time. That was kind of an isolated thing, but it was very traumatic. And I, I think a lot of times people just don't realize what they're doing when they say things like to a, a young mother who's lost her baby that, uh, well, you can have another one. You're young. You know? Yes, right. I, I, I feel like saying, how dare you say that? How could you possibly mm-hmm. let that come out of your mouth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of it comes just because people don't know what to say. And as, as you said, we kind of need to lead by example and, and kind of share with these people, you know, it, it would be so much nicer if you would have said something like this to me, or maybe you don't understand that, you know, I'm, I'm just a person and I'm just at the same event that you're at. And that's all there is to it. Judgment, I, th- I think never serves us when, when we judge somebody else. And, and it's easy for, for us to jump into the judgment back when somebody does something like that to us. And if we can just take a breath and step back and just forgive them and move forward on, on our own. And we don't have to be their best friend, but <laughs> we can. That's true. But the, the act of forgiving them, I think, is, is pretty significant in allowing yourself to feel better about the situation, too. It's true. Forgiveness is not about for forgetting, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's about finding a way so that you're not holding on to your own judgment or your own angst or your own the hit that that you know you have you felt. To forgive is to be able to say, I'm not going to hold on to this. Whatever was going on for them was going on for them. And that's on them, not on me. And I'm going to just move on. So I'm going to just think out they must they must be in their own kind of pain if that's where they needed to be and those are the kinds of comments they needed to make that's right that's exactly right wow that uh, i think i could probably write a whole book on how to uh how to interact with people dealing with grief both both sides you know the people that don't know what to say and the people that don't know what to respond with or how to do that yeah because it's sometimes i don't know what to say right no one and sometimes just saying i don't know what to say i want you to know i'm here no matter what and i'm a phone call away i will tap you know touch base with you and if it's too much just let me know and if and if you don't know that's okay i'm just around and i don't know what you need and i don't think that you know what you need and you know 
and that's okay. And we can be in this place of, I don't know what you need. And I don't know what, and you don't know what you need. And we can be in that place together. Mm-hmm. And that's like a liminal space of just not knowing. It's just floating and saying, I'll float with you. Yeah. I'll just float with you. And you know, that feels really good when somebody does, <laughs> when, when yeah. somebody can just, just be there. You don't have to talk. Sometimes, right. a lot of times, I think the, the griever is put in a situation of taking care of other people who don't know what to do or say. Mm-hmm. And they've got enough to deal with that without having them have to take care of you too. <laughs> so it, when you, you recognize that that sort of situation is coming up, you can knowing that is for what do they call it for forewarned is forearmed that, that yeah. you can uh, deal with something better. And I know one of the things that I suggest if, if you don't know what to say, you can say, I don't know what to say, but can I sit with you? Can, can I hold your hand? Do you want to hug? Something like that. As opposed to not saying anything or saying something like, I'm sorry for your loss, which I got to the point where I forgive people when they say that, <laughs> but it took a while because <laughs> I thought, <laughs> why did you just say, have a nice day? <laughs> it just seems so, so flip and meaningless that, and I'm sure that people that say that don't mean that, but to me, when I was hearing it over and over again, that's how I was accepting it. And I realized that I had to get over that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when someone says, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, they're in their own helplessness Mm -hmm. and they feel inadequate. And so they're going to something that may not be the, whatever the right thing is. I don't know that there's a right thing or a Mm -hmm. wrong thing. I think the worst thing someone can say, we've already spoken of, you know, the, the, the woman who loses a baby and, 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 and she's told, well, don't worry, you'll, you know, you're young, you'll get over it. And it's not being with that person in the present moment. And that kind of comment is a comment of helplessness for sure. It's also a comment that doesn't really connect with who, who that person is or the grief that they're experiencing. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and when you when you can start a conversation, when you can have a conversation with someone, it can change both your worlds. That's right. It, it can make such a huge difference. I, I know in the case with me, when I, I got together with the, the man that I ended up marrying after Jacques died, we'd been together for a while. We weren't married yet. I had a hard time getting married again because I didn't feel unmarried to my husband who died. And we were someplace, and he introduced me to somebody. Uh, I, he said something about me being Jacques' ex-wife, or, or Jacques was my ex-husband. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's my husband who died. And it led to a really deep, valuable conversation, because he didn't think he was saying anything wrong at all. He, didn't, he wasn't intending to dishonor or harm or insult or anything that that wasn't there it was just what he called him because I wasn't married to him anymore so he saw that as an ex and mm-hmm. it was uh fortunately we were able to talk about that it was really important to be able to talk about that he never said it again 
that I thought I'm sure that he didn't. Yeah. Uh, not if you have a really deep conversation about it. And yeah. and that's where precision is so important. The mm-hmm. precision of what the experience is for you and that you, your first husband is was not your ex-husband. Mm-hmm. It was not a separation of choice, you know, it was not a, it was not a separation that you wanted it was a separation because of it of a dying passage of a loved one yeah your husband and i i always tell people when they they talk about how long do you grieve i i always tell them as, as long as you love the person you know i'm i love my mom and dad and they've been gone for many many years and i didn't stop loving them because they died it's the same thing with my husbands my aunts and uncles my cousins my friends you know i've known a lot of people who died they didn't just turn off the faucet when they died and say oh well they're they're not here anymore so i don't have to love them anymore uh the, that love remains love always remains yeah and love you know love the kind of love that remains can be a wonderful teacher. Mm-hmm. And again, how do we pay that forward? You know, I, <laughs> my mom, my mom died over 20 years ago. And to this day on the day of her death as a way of, of remembering her, she loved to shop. She loved, so I might not shop, but I'll go window shopping. She loves flowers. I'll buy flowers and I'll put them in my house. And and I'll say, Elizabeth, this is for you. And it's a way of bringing in her spirit, if you will, that lives within me. Uh And it's not, I'm not going down a slippery slope. I'm saying this is my honor. This is an honor, you know? It is. And it's it's so so wonderful to be in a place where you can can remember your loved ones with with love, you know, and with a smile. And I know my my sister and I inherited a company that my mom and dad owned for a long, long time. The company is 62 years old this year. Wow. Yeah, this is kind of kind of a big deal. And this year they got the award from the local chamber of commerce as the best business in town for the year. And it it was great. It was really, really cool. And what all I could think of is mom and dad would be so proud and proud of the fact that we kept it in the family and that it's serving so many. It's an ambulance company. And during the pandemic and the fires in California, we were busier than we had ever been. But boy, did we help a lot of people. It was amazing what we were, we had the opportunity to do. And I thought, if, if Daddy were just here now to be able to soak this in, he would be so thrilled to see what he started all those years ago has turned into something so beautiful and stayed, remained. Mm-hmm. So his company is paying him forward, you know, and every ambulance has a little bit of your dad, you know, yeah. right? And his idea and his, you know, creation and how wonderful. And and you get to watch that and you get to appreciate that. Yeah, I do. And it's, it's wonderful. And, and dad was the 
such an icon on community service that he taught me the, the value of that. And people still, it's, a, it's in a relatively small town. People still remember him for everything for he did, he did for the community. So the ambulance does things for the community. I don't live there anymore. I do things for that community, but I also do com- things for my community here and wherever I go. And whenever I do, I think, you know, dad taught me this. And isn't it, isn't it cool? You know, <laughs> wonderful to be. Yeah, able to it's do so this. cool, right? Yeah. It's so cool. There is there is something about about what we're talking about that's so important. It has to do with the brain, and it has to do with what happens to the brain when we have gratitude, when we walk around with some form of gratitude, and when grief meets gratitude, magic can occur. Absolutely. And so it's fine. Yeah. So it's finding those those tiny moments when there can be some gratitude or maybe a life that was saved because of an ambulance. And, 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 and thankfully that ambulance was able to get there and the medics were able to help and, and that life and that person and that family that was around that person could, you know, revel in the fact that that ambulance got there in time to help. And, and, and it is those little moments of gratitude that can forever change us and to realize that the brain is an ally in this in in this process, and and it is it is one of our greatest helpers in managing what goes on in our amygdalas, and and the, the amygdala is what holds emotions and holds our fears, and we have you know when we're grieving, it's just it's it's heavy, and there can be lightness there. And it's realizing that when, when we can look at something with just a little bit of a different lens, even our grief, that that, that can open us up to healing. And yes. healing is not about forgetting, it's about learning how to remember more peacefully. Oh, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for saying that. People need to hear that and, and receive that message. It's, it's fabulous. And I just realized how long we've been talking here. We probably should wrap this up. It's, it's so fun to talk to you. Uh, I, I like smiling this much. It's, it's really nice. And I think it's really good when you're talking to people who are dealing with grief to be able to smile and show them that they can smile too. You can, you know, reflect that toward them. You can be grieving and smile and you don't have to feel guilt over the smile. Absolutely. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. uh, Emily, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful, lovely conversation. It was so easy. And uh, anybody who's listening, you know, grief is uh, certainly a journey. It's nothing like we ever expect it to be. And yet it can teach us more about ourselves than I think just about anything else. That's right. As, As we said earlier, we all experience it. Some more than others. Uh, but it's it's there for everybody. And Ram right. Das lived here in in Maui, and I I actually got to be with him before he died. And he one of his things that he said is we're all just walking each other home. Mm. I I just love that. I like to think of it that way. I love I I, I like that as well. Thank you so much for for sharing that during this this conversation what an appropriate end yes (laughs) oh thank you thank you so much 
And as I said before, do look in the show notes because there's lots of information there that is uh, help for you. And it's a wonderful thing to take advantage of. And I appreciate you joining us today and always. And hope that you'll be back and join me again next week. Thank you. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.